in a sermon series that finishes this week and next. It's really weighty. It's a very serious subject written by the Apostle Peter. I have to tell you, as I was studying, it was so humbling to think that I get to be somebody today who shares with you the thoughts of Peter. That's just almost daunting, overwhelming, that I'm the best you get this morning to represent Peter. And fortunately, you've heard the series already where you've heard some very good messages coming out of all the things he'd put together. But we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapters 3 and 4, and they are very heavy. I couldn't put any fun into this message today. I couldn't even put any fun in any illustrations because this is all about people who are about to get persecuted, have already experienced some persecution, like being eliminated for things, not selected for things, ostracized by family and friends, and they know of other persecution that had gone on within the Roman Empire that sent people to the Colosseum to be slaughtered on and on. It was worse than that even when they would be put up as torches to light the streets of Rome at night by Nero. It was horrible, horrible. And so these people who were becoming Christians thinking, this is fabulous. My sins are forgiven. I put it all on Christ who was persecuted and suffered for me. Now I have relief. I can live my life with such great joy and it's just, I'm not worried about things anymore. No, no, no. That's not the way it was working at all. Because although the people that Peter is writing to are from Asia Minor, which is just below the Black Sea, it's the northern part of modern-day Turkey. He's writing to mostly Gentile Christian believers and Jews also who are now believers in that area of northern Turkey. And they're starting to have that persecution. And they've heard all about the persecution going on in Rome, that horrible, horrible persecution there. But Peter is one who for a little more than three years was with Jesus, and he saw the best possible example of what it looked like to live in holiness in a hostile world. To live in holiness in a hostile world. So this scripture today is weighty because everything that's written in those two chapters is all about, hey, things are going to get bad. You may even lose your life because of what you believe. And he's writing to encourage them. Nero, I can't say too much about him. He's a historical figure. Most all of you have, or if you're really young, you will learn about him one day. A Roman emperor. And when Rome had a huge fire, although many think that he did it himself. You've heard the phrase, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. That's where it comes from. But as a scapegoat, he said, oh, the Christians did it. The Christians did it. And so all oh, they were all after the Christians. And so that's what started the horrible persecution that became the mindset throughout all the Roman Empire. And eventually it was catching up, catching up to where these Christians were up in the Turkey 
area. Now, I want us to start our scripture today by looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. So as this stuff is starting to come on them, and they're, th- they're, they're starting to think, well, why is this happening to me? Why, why is all this stuff going on? Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed whenever His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Oh my, that's serious business. Be glad if a fiery ordeal comes upon you. Don't think something strange is happening. In fact, rejoice, because in your own way, you're sharing in Christ's suffering. Let's go back. We're going to go now to Rome. We're going to join another apostle. We're not going to see him. In this video clip, he's in prison. And people who have started to receive the persecutions are huddled together in places, literally hiding out, because they never know when they could be caught and be next, thrown into the Colosseum for the slaughter. They never know. That's what Christianity was like in that day. It's not so easy to say, well, I'm a Christian. Because that was a death sentence for many. And so let's go to that time and let's see what it was like when Christians were huddled together trying to figure out what in the world they can do to get out of their predicament. This is from the movie Paul the Apostle. We must retaliate for this brutal act. Many of us have only a short time left in this city. We must hold strong now. Hold strong? So we're like diseased dogs, then. We do nothing to defend ourselves while we're chased from the city just to be hunted down and killed. Cassius, we understand your anger. Tarquin was like a son to us. We should never have let him go. Why do you blame yourselves and not the ones who have murdered him? And who else have they taken from you? This woman has come to you covered in the blood of her child. And what would you do, Cassius? Tell me, what would you do? We do what they do to us. Murder them in the cover of darkness. Set fire and burn them in their homes while they sleep. You speak as if your ears have never heard the words of Christ. You never walked with Christ. How can you say he would say these things in the face of such an evil like Nero? Quiet! Be still. None of us here have walked with Christ. But Paul has followed him longer than us all. I have watched him be beaten. I have watched him be stoned and flogged. And never once did he raise his finger against his oppressors. Let peace be with you, for we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. 
Peace begins with you, Cassius. Love is the only way. This is not your circumstances today. You're not huddling in here fearful of people who are outside. Completely different for you in your world. So this next slide is a very important one. People in sales know that when you are blueprinting a client, the object is you want them to buy in to what you want to sell them. This, this slide is one that you need to remember that every time you're trying to convince somebody of something, every time they blink, they blink. In the black and the inside of the head, they're seeing these words as you talk. So what does this mean to me? So what does this mean to me? So with all that we just read in that scripture about persecution, I want you to think these words. In fact, I want you to say them right now. I don't even care if you mumble them. Like they're on the inside of your eyelids, let's say together. So, what does this mean to me? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. We're going to make some application to that right now. From 1 Peter chapter 3. 8. Peter has eight instructions for holy behavior during persecution. And they're all here in these two verses. He says, to the Christian believers there, all of you... Be like-minded. Have you ever said to someone, now we need to be on the same page on this, right? You're a Marine. Do Marines say, whoa? Yeah, that. All right, you're all on the same page when you, when you say that. That's exactly right. Our newlywed over here, let's give he and Mariah a hand this morning. Married this week and in church this morning and off to the service again on Tuesday. Remarkable. We to be like-minded. We don't want to be in argument with one another. That's what I think is one of the greatest benefits of our Sunday school classes, adult Sunday school classes, where you have some discussion with, with the lecture because that way we hear everybody's thoughts and as we're discussing it together, we hear some new ideas, but we come to a consensus. We come to a, we come to a consensus of agreeing with one another, and that's so important. We're to be like-minded for Christ, and then be sympathetic. I mean, really, when people have some hardships, come on, am I the only one that thinks, well, they brought it on themselves? Come on, am I the only one? Think, well, they brought it on themselves. They deserve what they got. Or, or, isn't that awful? Oh, I'm so glad my DNA is not that way. I'm glad that's not part of the way I have to be. And then we say, well, I'll pray for you. And then we say those words in comfort and we pass right along and never pray. I try not to be that person. But we're to be sympathetic, really care for other people in their struggle within the family of God. That's so important. And then to love one another. We can't speak enough about that. Whoever that character was in the film, that was not a major character that you saw. He was just someone rising to some leadership. And he talked about love. Love is the only way. Hey, if you were facing death and persecution, it isn't natural. 
for love to surface as the immediate way you're going to respond. This is difficult. And then be compassionate and be humble. Many of you are very fortunate. You have examples in your life of people who you have seen, witnessed, heard something about that made you say, I want to be like them. One day in a corporation I was with in radio broadcasting, a fellow was elevated to the uh, whole eastern United States uh, vice president of the, of the radio station chain. And just after this had been announced, it was a Christmas party time. And of all things, it was headquartered out here in Gray. They were going to let him to continue to work at the radio station group in Gray. And when he came to the Christmas party, all of us were there like, where's he going to sit? Who's going to be with him? We all wanted to, you know, hobnob, rub noses with the boss who already was easy to get to know. But now he's a really big wig. You know, he was a network executive. And everybody watched, see where he'd sit. And he came in and he sat with the, sat with the, the, lowest support staff of the entire operation. The people who weren't on the radio, the people who didn't work with the equipment, the people who were just pushing papers or, or cleaning floors or, or changing out the coffee maker. That's where he sat. And he became my hero from that. And I'm glad I've continued to have a lifelong relationship with this mentor who I admired because it taught me Scripture to not be a respecter of persons, to be compassionate, to be humble. And then there was someone else that I knew I didn't think a whole lot of, frankly. I thought he was a lot of smoke and mirrors and hot air whenever he would preach. And, and then I found out that that wasn't so. I found out he's one of those people that whenever you go to the bathroom and you look to see if the toilet top is clean, ladies, it's clean and you're shocked. He's a person that every time he would use a public toilet would be sure to clean the top of the toilets. That impressed me immensely. And on another occasion, I was visiting someone, very close friends, early in the morning at a hospital before 6 a.m., as you know, admission time can be real early. And he showed up. He wasn't even close friends with his family. He showed up to be with them to have prayer and to encourage them. And that elevated him sky high to me. Humble, compassionate. And then in verse 9, you know, we saw what it was like in that one video clip. What do we do? Let's go do to them what they did to us. Let's burn their houses down. Let's fight. And verse 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Let me stop there. In our world, particularly in politics, isn't, isn't that the number one thing they do? Repay evil with evil and insult with insult? Yeah, that's what we see. That becomes the norm. And our whole society has, has gotten difficult to be with rude because of that kind of behavior that we see in our country today. And he says, don't be that way to your enemy. To your enemy, don't be like that. But on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Do you really know what blessing means? We, uh, we ask a blessing on the food. 
whenever we have a meal together, don't we? So you ask the blessing today. Will you have the blessing today? Well, the literal meaning of blessing is approval, encouragement, or to make happy. So I'm certain when you pray, you're approving of your food. I don't know how you're encouraging your food or how you're making your food happy, Bill, but we're encouraged by it, so we ask a blessing. Well, this is what we're to do to our enemies, encourage them, make them happy. (laughs) And then it says, because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Isn't that something? Well, they didn't have New Testament scriptures to read, to find encouragement. They couldn't go to their New Testament Bibles and find all the letters that you find bound together as a New Testament in your Bible. But they did have this letter from Peter, and they had all the Old Testament scriptures that mostly they had memorized through their life because that was the Jewish tradition, and, and the Gentiles were becoming more familiar with it. But they had access to the Psalms, just like you do. And so 1 Peter 3 quotes a psalm from Psalm 34. It quotes verses 12 through 16. And in it, we can make application and illustration to this. Have you ever said, well, I want my life back. Things have gotten so difficult. You don't like the way things are. I I want my life back. That's just what (laughs) verse 1 says. Here, actually, verse verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days, would love life, see good days. In other words, something went wrong. I want to go out and just enjoy the beauty of nature, take a ride through the mountains on a nice sunny day. Don't want this rain all the time. I don't want to be cash poor because the economy is so bad. I want to be able to buy what I want at a good restaurant. I want to be able to afford that expensive dessert on the menu. Yeah, I'd love to love life and see the good days. That's just like us saying, I want my life back. I want my life back. Well, they turned to the Psalms for some encouragement. And so David, who wrote the Psalms, and Peter, repeating it, is saying, what do you do? If this is what you want, here's what you must do. You must keep your tongue from evil. You must keep your lips from deceitful speech. Now, deceitful speech is telling half-truths, pointing something in one direction is not completely right, or lying. And he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to Christians. Tell the truth. Be truthful people. And don't Say evil things, and he's even referring to enemies. Now, verse 11. They must turn from evil. They must do good. They must seek peace. They must pursue it. 1 Peter 3, then 12, which is also a quote from Psalm 34. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. Have you ever heard it said, God is watching you? And we usually say that in a negative way, don't we? God is is watching you. Like, watch how you behave. 
But this scripture is not speaking that as a warning of condemnation. This scripture is talking to those who are good living, righteous, godly people. The eyes of the Lord are on you when you are good, and they're there for a blessing. What's that? Encouragement, right? Happiness for you. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Next slide. You're going to repeat it with me? So, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? Here's what it means. It means turn confrontations into your testimony. Turn, turn your confrontations into testimony. 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, revere Christ as the Lord. Oh, that's not hard for you to do. You'll love him, don't you? That's why you got up, you came here this morning. You got dressed better than you do on a Saturday morning this time of day. And here you are. Some of you are even a little bit cleaner than Saturday morning. Right? Sure. You put your heart into it because you revere Christ as your Lord. And then, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to answer. You know, if people hear a message long enough, they even start to believe it. Let me think if I can think of some branding statements, some little, quick little liners. Oh, yeah. Allstate. Well, how does Allstate go? What is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's how you know it too, huh? You know it too. Okay, how about Cellular One? Everything you need, nothing you don't want. Something like that anyway. And then the one I know you hear 50 times an hour. Liberty Mutual. <laughs> we won't even say it. Just thinking it, it's already there, right? So how do you answer if someone says, well, why are you a Christian? Why do you put faith in God? Why do you make these changes in your life, put restrictions on yourself? Why do you do it? Can you answer like that? Do you have a statement ready? See, that's what the Scripture tells us to do. Always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within you. I want us to look at 1 Peter 3.17. You see, it says Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered for two reasons. For your sins. And then secondly, to bring you to God to put you in relationship with God. We read it here in 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. That was his death, right? That's where his body was crucified. The righteous for you, the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the second reason. That's the second reason Jesus suffered. Now remember, 
Peter is writing to Christians. These already are believers, and he, here they are facing this awful persecution, and he's reminding them there's a reason for you to have hope. Know what it is. Be able to repeat it. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. So you know what this does? This begs a question. A question you need to ask again. It's written on the inside of your eyelids every time you blink, and it is. So let's say, what does this mean to me? Again, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. It means death is coming for your body. <laughs> In my lifetime, I know I'm already three times past when I should have died. That's the way it works. It's coming. It's going to get every one of us one day. Death is coming. And he's talking to these being persecuted who might have their lives taken from them at the hands of others in persecution. But he's reminding them that renovation, renewal, resurrection is coming from our souls, is coming for our souls. In fact, we're even given the hope beyond that of a resurrected body that will be like Jesus, the one that the apostles saw after his resurrection. Now, I want us to look at the next scripture, not just hear it, not a lecture from me. I just want us to see it. I put together two different movies along with the whole bit of this next scripture. I put it together so that you can visually see what, what uh, Peter was trying to convey about Christ to the believers. 1 Peter 3, 20 through 22 is what we're going to see, and it has everything to do with his illustration of how water is so important in our renewal, how it was a part of destruction, but it becomes what saves us through Jesus Christ. Now, to explain that better, let's just watch it and read the Scripture. Watch Noah and the flood. You talk about water? You'll see it here. days of Noah in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. That same scripture continues, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. There is one to come, greater than me, who will baptize with fire. I am just a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the...
Don't stop. Surely I need you to baptize me. right. Baptize me. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Talking about that water baptism. You need to remember, Peter is talking to already baptized believers under persecution. This is not a plea to be baptized. He's explaining to them what's going on. Your conscience can be clear. Yes, the body will be done away with, but you can continue to live with joy. So what do we take away from this today? What does it mean to you? It means that you're to be the best possible example of what it looks like in holiness amid a hostile world. You live your life in such a way that people hear your branding statement and you can give a reason for the hope that's in you. And know that your baptism was your testimony. You can't hide what was done publicly. In fact, if anyone should be baptized today, there's the water right there in front of us. We can all witness, but, but we don't have people around who are spies or those who are waiting to put you to death because. We need to be encouraged by what baptism has done, and we need to know that just like Jesus... We become alive in the Spirit forever as we are dead to sin and have the hope that goes beyond our mortal life that could be taken from us at any moment.